Well, good evening. You guys feeling okay? Good, good. Well, my name is Mike, and uh, we are so glad each and every one of you are here tonight. And uh, at Northwood Young Adults, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt comfortable and invited. And I also hope that you came with an open heart because you are wanted and welcomed here. Um, and so with that said, tonight is our first service of 2020. So Happy New Year. I uh, hope you guys had a, a great holiday uh, break, holiday season. If you're anything like me, the holidays are awesome. It, you know, it's great, but it's also great to get back to the normal swing of things and uh, get back to our, our routine, right? So it's good to be here. Um, and so if you're wondering why I said Northern Young Adults and not Genesis... If you missed it, we have uh, this ministry has changed its name from Genesis to Northwood Young Adults as part of a church-wide rebrand. Um, and trust me, that is going to be hard for me to remember um, because it has been called Genesis for a long time. Um, and actually, so around the office, uh, I, I put together this jar, and uh, it's called the You Said Genesis Jar, okay? And it's full of these little pieces of paper with, uh, like, embarrassing things on them that you have to do if you say Genesis, if you say the G word, all right, or exercises. Uh, not, like, day-ruining embarrassing, but, like, just, you know, slightly embarrassing things. Um, so, like, today I had to skip down the hallway because I called it Genesis. Um, I uh, had to do 25 crunches yesterday. Emily had to do the Macarena for 60 seconds. Um, <laughs> and uh, what was a good one? Uh, Jake had to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. And um, that, so that was good. Uh, so if you're looking at our, at our Instagram story by chance, you'll see what I'm talking about. But, uh, but I know God has great things in store for this year. And, uh, and I'm excited for what he's going to do through your life uh, and, as an individual and also through this ministry as a whole. Uh, and I believe that by the end of the year, you'll be able to look back at 2020 and say, man, it is undeniable that God worked in my life and used me to do incredible things. And so I'm excited to get this going tonight. Uh, and so over the course of this month, we're going to talk a lot about what that can look like in your life. And so tonight we're beginning a series called The Eye in Revival. And uh, it's true that, that many of us long to see the world change, right? We want to we wanna see our schools and our workplaces and our communities and our cities come to know Jesus. And that is a great goal. But oftentimes that dream stays a dream because we aren't willing to get in the trenches ourselves. And so personal revival always precedes collective revival. And so as individuals, we need an awakening of our faith, and we need an awakening of our boldness in the gospel. And, and if we see that in each of us as individuals, imagine what we could do together. And uh, like I said, I'll give you, you know, you have permission to talk back to me tonight. Let me know that you are following me, okay? Sound good? All right before the, <laughs> right before the holidays, uh, uh, we had a car start making a, a funny noise, and I thought it was minor, um, and so we took, it to, uh, we took it to the shop, and it was still under warranty, so we took it in, and as it turned out, the problem with the car was not minor. The problem with the car was, in fact, the entire engine, okay? Uh, thank God for powertrain warranties, because the dealership replaced the entire engine for us, all right? We Googled around, and we estimated that that was probably $8,000 worth uh, of a repair, okay? That was in, that's insane. Um, and it cost nothing to us. And it took almost three weeks for them to do it because, like, the holidays and, um, and this is just a massive repair. Um, and I hope I don't jinx myself by saying this, but now that we have it back, 
it rise. I mean, it's never ran as, as good as it does now. So, um, <laughs> so uh, as Christians, you know, that, that have been saved by Christ, it's true that we have been given a new engine. We've been given a new heart. Uh, we have been given all that we need to function as ambassadors of Christ in this world. But many of us have, have yet to put the, the key in the ignition and, and cranked up that brand new engine, right? And so tonight, uh, I want to talk about that because I believe that it's time that we do so. So if you would uh, pray with me, and then we'll jump into this tonight. God, thank you so much for, uh, for bringing us here together tonight, God, at uh, what is the first service of the year, uh, what is the first service as Northwood Young Adults, and uh, God, I pray that, um, and I thank you in advance for everything that you're going to do this year uh, through us as individuals, through uh, this ministry, and uh, God, we pray that it would start right now, that, 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 that tonight would be one step of many that we would take closer to you uh, this year. And so God, we thank you for tonight, we trust you, that you would speak to us through your word, in Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen. Great. Well, if you would, turn to uh, or click on the book of 1 Kings 18. If you have your Bible, have your phone, whatever. Um, and so as you're turning to 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings is a, a book of history in Scripture that tells of the, the kings of Israel. And in the, the span of the entirety of the Bible, the, the books of First and Second Kings, they serve the purpose of proving that man was not the solution for uh, the children of God, for the people of God. And so the kings of Israel served as preparation for the one true king that was still to come at that time, Jesus. And uh, we see that many of Israel's kings were corrupt. They, they worshipped false gods. They abandoned the ways of God. They went mad with power, etc. And so God would send prophets into these, uh, into, uh, before these kings to try to set the nations straight, try to set the nations straight. And one of the most well-known prophets is the one that we're going to talk about tonight, and his name was Elijah. So by the time we get to 1 Kings 18, we see that Israel is experiencing a drought, okay? So it has not rained for a long time, and that's going to kind of come into play later. But a man named Ahab was king, and so King Ahab was king, and he had abandoned the ways of God, and he had raised up these prophets of Baal, these false prophets of this false god, and Elijah is told by God to go see King Ahab because he was going to finally send rain. If you've seen anything that's been going on in Australia, it's kind of like that, right? It's just this, there was a terrible drought and everything's on fire. Well, yesterday they got some rain in part of uh, Australia and everyone was like rejoicing and, and really, you know, celebrating, rightly so, right? If, you, if you've kept up with that. So that's kind of what this was like. It was this really bad drought and it was good news that finally this rain was going to come. Well, before that happens, Elijah, he asked King Ahab to gather the false prophets together because he wanted to speak with them. And that's where we pick up the story. This is 1 Kings 18, 20 to 21. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... Then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So we, we kind of see the, the stage get set here. So we see uh, Elijah paint the problem. So he begins by asking them, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? He said, if God is God, follow him. And if it's Baal, then follow him. And, and so what is he doing in, in asking this question? He's telling these people, quit riding the fence. Right? Either God is God or he's not. Either follow God and do what he says, or don't. 
I mean, that sounds awfully familiar to where we often find ourselves, right? You know, we, we like to, to, to toe the line between following the ways of the world and following the ways of God. And, and so in the, in the words of Elijah, we need to quit limping in between two different opinions, right? To stop living in a way where uh, to Christians we look like a Christian, and then in the world we just blend in with everybody else, right? We are called to be set apart. We're called to be different than the world. But oftentimes in the, in the name of blending in, our faith in Jesus has been smothered to the point where we have become essentially indistinguishable from the rest of the world, from everyone and everything else. We have sacrificed our calling from God on the altar of the world's acceptance. And so no wonder Christians can exist in a world, exist in a school or a workplace or in a city, and literally see it stay the exact same. It's because we have longed to see God change the world but we aren't willing to be the ones he uses to do so. We're not going to see the change that we want until we decide to get off the fence. And so let's keep reading. We'll see where this goes. This is 1 Kings 18, 22-24. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. And so we see Elijah set up this, this little experiment. And so he says, okay, so we're having trouble figuring out which God is the real God. And so let's find out once and for all. And so he tells the prophets, he says, okay, we're going to set up this sacrifice. And by the way, there's just one of me. There's 450 of you guys. Okay, so we're going to set up this sacrifice. You call upon your God. I'll call upon mine. And the one who answers by fire is the true God. And by the way, it's important to know, Baal was known as the storm God. And so in theory, he would have had no trouble sending some lightning down, setting fire to this altar. All right, let's see what happens. 1 Kings 18, 25 through 29. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So he's like, hey, you go first. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, or of the sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. So the prophets of Baal, they, they, they set up their offering, and they began crying out to Baal for hours. And nobody answered, like crickets, silence. There's no voice. And after a few hours of them doing this, Elijah begins to mock them, which is really, it's kind of funny. He's like, oh, well, maybe your God is just deep in thought. Or maybe he's in the bathroom. Or maybe he's on vacation. Or maybe he's asleep, right? And so that was insulting to the prophets, and so they decide to start cutting themselves and self-mutilation is really common in idol worship. And so they're bleeding everywhere and bleeding on everything. And still there was no answer. The verses, the verses said there was no voice. Nobody answered. No one 
paid attention. Let's keep the, score, uh, the story going. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. So if you want to think about that, that's about 14 quarts, two seahs. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And so we see that it was Elijah's turn now to make his sacrifice. And for good measure, he intentionally adds some things into the equation that are not in his favor. We see him build the altar, and then he had four jars of water poured onto the wood. And then he's like, okay, take those four jars and fill them up and do it again. They do it again. He says, now do it a third time. They pour it over a third time. To that point, the water is like falling off the altar, and it's filled this trench that he's made. And remember, the goal here is to set this thing on fire, right? I don't know if you've ever heard that old saying, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Wet wood doesn't burn. And so here's Elijah with an offering doused in water, and he's about to try to call down fire from heaven to set fire to it, to burn it up. And so he takes away every natural chance this wood has of catching fire so that when God does it, it would be truly supernatural. Let's see what happens. Verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And so Elijah, he prays to God, and God sends down fire and consumes the whole thing, the altar, the animal, the wood, all of it. And so God makes this emphatic statement about who he is. He makes this emphatic statement about what he can do to prove himself to the Israelites. And when the people saw it, they immediately fell down and worshiped. And they said, the Lord, he is God. And they say that twice. Anytime you see repetition in the Bible, take notice. Said the Lord, He is God, and all of the prophets of Baal were killed. And so, to end the story, let's read this one next verse. If you remember, the reason Elijah was there in the first place was to tell Ahab that it was going to rain. Right? First Kings eighteen forty one. And Elijah said to Ahab, "Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain." And so Elijah is sent by God, right, to tell of the rain. He ends up taking this detour by himself against 450 prophets of Baal, pours a bunch of water on an offering, calls down fire from heaven, burns it up to prove, God, prove who God was to the nation. And then he's like, oh yeah, time to do what I came here to do. By the way, King Ahab, rain's coming. I love that end of that story. That's amazing. <laughs> so, and so I want to ask you tonight, as we talk about getting off the fence, as we talk about personal revival, just as Elijah did, are you willing to stand alone? 
Are you willing to stand alone? When I say stand alone, I mean are we taking responsibility for our personal faith in Jesus? Are we going to get off the fence? You know, when Elijah stood up against those 450 false prophets, there was no denying who his allegiance belonged to. And by the way we live our lives, could we say the same? Could, 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 we, could we say that the same, or are we trying to blend in among the rest? You know, are there, are, there, are there people in your life able to say, man, that person is no doubt a follower of Jesus? And when we go to work, when we go to class, when we go out to eat, hang out with friends, etc., are there evident marks of our faith in our life? And here's what I don't want us to miss tonight, because... I'm not trying to, to heap burdens on you, and I'm not trying to give you more spiritual homework to do. Because here's the thing. Elijah's willingness to stand out among the rest and his willingness to set up this sacrifice experiment would have meant nothing if the fire of God had not come. He had all the right elements in place. He had the wood. He had the animal. He had the altar. But without God sending the fire, it would have meant nothing. And the same can be said about us tonight. Right? Many of us likely have all the ingredients. We come to church, we may read our Bible, we may know a lot about our faith, and know a lot about Christianity, but without the fire of God, without the Spirit of God, it means nothing. And so it's not us awakening ourselves, right? It's the Holy Spirit awakening us. A.W. Tozer says this is like being a stick of dynamite, right? We have all the components that we need to explode, but without the flame, we just sit in the corner and do nothing. We're like a car with a brand new engine, and the Holy Spirit is what we need to ignite that ignition. I love that idea, and we're like sticks of dynamite, likely equipped with and possessing everything we need, but without the fire of God, we're nothing. And so it's time for us to welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives to revive us and awaken us as individuals so we can see the revival and the awakening that we've longed to see in the world around us. And so you might be thinking, oh man, how do I do this? How, how do I become sensitive to the Spirit of God? How do, how do I then make an impact on the world around me? Well, the primary way to welcome the Spirit into your life is to first come to faith in Christ. Right? If you believe that just as Elijah was willing to stand alone, that Jesus would one day stand alone as even his closest friends would leave him. That just as Elijah made a sacrifice, Jesus made a sacrifice. But it wasn't animals, it was himself. He put himself on the altar. And just as Elijah's miracle compelled people to believe in God, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the salvation plan for all mankind. It's the power of salvation for all of us. And so if you've given your life to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But as you walk with him throughout your life, it's true that we can operate as if the Spirit means nothing to us. And so one way that you can stay sensitive to the Spirit's work in your life is through prayer. Praying and asking the Holy Spirit to speak and guide and comfort. Praying and asking for more of the Spirit. You know, in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the language that he uses implies that it is a daily filling. And so it's not this one and done thing. You know, salvation is one and done, but a filling of the Holy Spirit is something we should be asking God for every single day. And to not do so implies that we're able to do what he's called us to do by ourselves. And so walking through, I mean, honestly, that's like Elijah trying to start the fire on his own after just pouring a bunch of water on it. It doesn't make any sense. 
And so walking through life without prayer, walking through life without being sensitive to the Spirit, it's essentially practical atheism. It is. We say we believe in God, but operate as if He doesn't exist. To live our lives and ignore the very source of power that was promised by Jesus Himself. He even said, Jesus even said, man, it's better to have the Holy Spirit than for me to stay on earth. So it is dire that we welcome the Spirit's work and presence in our life. Another way to stay sensitive to the Spirit is through Scripture. Because that's what makes Scripture so powerful, right? It's embedded with the Spirit of God. That's what makes the Bible living and active. And I know it's the beginning of the year, and so Bible reading plans abound, okay? Whatever it takes, make room for it in your life. When you interact with Scripture, you are interacting with the Holy Spirit. And as you welcome the Spirit into your life, the result is a life that is set apart, a life that impacts the world around you and those you encounter. And so as we talk about making an impact on the world tonight, I know that that idea of changing the world can be so overwhelming and big and heavy. And so as a young adult follower of Jesus, don't start with the mission of changing the world. As a young adult follower of Jesus, equipped with the Holy Spirit, start with the mission of changing your world, your world. Don't carry the weight of changing your entire workplace or your entire school because that leads to you being frozen, right? Paralysis by analysis. We think so much, we get so overwhelmed that we don't do anything. Instead, this is my challenge to you. Instead, draw a circle, not literally, draw a circle around those closest to you. The three, four, five people. Draw a circle around them and make it your mission to make sure that those people come to know Jesus more or for the first time. Change your world. And the beauty of that is once you've done that, just draw that circle a little bit bigger and start again. Don't get weighed down by the thought of making an impact on the world at large, but let God use you to make an impact on your world. And so you can, you can ask yourself, how, how can God use me to make an impact on my world today? That's turning the car engine on. That's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's putting the eye in revival. Go change your world. If you would, go ahead and stand with me. Tonight, I want us to respond in worship and maybe inviting the Spirit into our life for the first time or inviting the Spirit to have more of a presence in our life. Like I said, without it, we're nothing. And so I would encourage you to welcome the fire of God, the Spirit of God into your life tonight to respond to the fact that Jesus is alive, that he's going to bring us alive, and then he wants to use us to bring others alive. And so tonight I would, I would challenge you to get off the fence, to stop limping in between two, two opinions, and make it your goal this year, make it your mission this year to change your world. Sound good? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for the story of Elijah and his boldness to do uh, what seemed insane, to stand up against almost 500 false prophets and to be bold enough to ask you, God, to show yourself. So, God, I pray that we would follow in that example, to be bold, to be confident in who you are, and, God, to invite the fire into our lives, invite your spirit into our life. And, God, I pray pray that he would not leave us the same. So God, I pray as we leave out here tonight that we would make a decision to stop limping in between two different opinions, to finally get off the fence, be all in with our relationship with you, and watch how you use this to change our world. In Jesus' name, amen.